This episode is brought to you by Harris Resort SoCal. Nestled against a rolling hillside and just down the road from Palomar Mountain, guests at Harris Resort SoCal can expect gorgeous views, friendly staff, available night and day to encourage everyone to have a great time. When I was there recently, I had a chance to dine at California's first and the nation's largest house kitchen. And it's true, the beef wellington and sticky toffee dessert are great. The restaurant is inspired by the hit TV show and features a menu approved by the Michelin star celebrity chef, Gordon Ramsay himself. Hope to see you all at Harris Resort SoCal in 2024. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. All right, here we go. Hey, Tan, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for coming on. Um, I want to say Happy New Year. Although it's not here yet, but... Um, so when you um, hear the word Vietnam being Vietnamese, what does that mean to you? How do you identify with that? Well, I feel like I've always been... Uh, I've never really had like problem identifying with that. Because, uh, uh, you know being since like being born here and uh being a vietnamese i actually don't think about it too often you know and uh but not only until i came to the states i feel like maybe i felt like i was a little bit different yeah you know because of all the culture and everything how how old and uh you know just vietnamese is like uh Sorry, but yeah, no, it's Vietnamese is just like, you know, being myself, my family, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about the delay. Sometimes it's hard, especially when we're doing it from um, like the States to Vietnam, there's like a little bit longer delay and I have to like kind of get into that rhythm of that delay. Right, right. If, I, if it feels like I'm jumping ahead of you, but yeah, I'm sorry. I should have let you finish the, the, the answer. It's all right. <laughs> How old were you when you came to uh, I came when uh, I was 15, so, so I finished ninth grade in middle school here, and then I went to uh, yeah, I went to high school. And was that sort of like the plan all along? Like you knew you're when you were a kid, you were gonna come. Well, I actually had no idea, and uh, I think it was uh, my uncle. I used to have um, my dad's cousin, and he lives in the states and. Uh, he came back one day and he was, you know, like having conversation with me in English just to see. And then he told my dad that, you know, he believes that I should, you know, come to the States when I'm this young so that, you know, I can adapt and get get the ropes quicker, you know? Yeah. And so um, they kind of made the decision kind of quick. And uh, I had no clue until they told me. and. Um, we were trying to get the paperwork ready and everything. So it, it only took like one semester and then I knew I was going. Wow. But I had no idea what it was going to be like, you know? All I knew about the state is like from films and, you know, movies, things like that, you know, news. So from 
the early days of your childhood, you didn't have like this preparation, like this mental preparation that, hey, one day when I turn 15, I'm going to live somewhere else and be a part of away from my family for a while. Yeah, I had I had no clue. And um, actually, at the time, you know, I was 15. So I was kind of more, I think I was more excited than nervous because I didn't know what was ahead of me. And the idea of like living away from my parents, parents sounds kind of cool, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> as like a teenager, you, uh, you know, at the time, I, I felt like I was kind of stupid, you know, like uh, I was getting to that phase when I'm like talking back to my parents a lot and like uh, have new ideas and things like that. So I was really excited. And um, one thing is like, I, I, I love a lot of, a lot of things about the American culture or from what I knew. And so I, I was just like excited and um, I was, I thought I was ready. <laughs> I thought I was pretty ready. Wait, what do you mean by that? Like you thought you were ready? Like you thought you were ready for being there and like getting assimilated to the culture? that kind of ready or you thought you were ready like i'm a man now at 15 and i can take on the world ready um it was more about like um because i actually really enjoyed english like as a like when i was in school you know like i wasn't really good at math or anything like that and i was only good at like two things that were like art and english and I really enjoyed it. I, I study a lot and I thought, you know, I, I come prepared. I would be, Got it. Um, you know, it, it won't take me that long to uh, adapt. But actually, I was, I was quite wrong. <laughs> All right. But that, that comes later. <laughs> <laughs> so your, uh, your, your parents did send you to a place that you could learn English um, before you before they made that decision, right? So you were studying English in school. Yeah, but in in school, it wasn't as good. So, um, and I actually I showed when I was little, I showed like no interest in school, and whatsoever, like in like no no subjects <laughs> that I was. Um, I was never like, you know, like the good, good student. So, um, they, uh, they actually were surprised to see me, uh, happy to take on that English course. And, uh, um, when they were threatened to like, you know, not letting me continue, I was like, I was actually begging them to wow. let me continue because they, they were actually going to switch me from this, this program to a better program. But they didn't tell me that. They just told me that, oh, I need to stop. And I was like, oh, please, like, actually, like, let me continue to do that. So really? Yeah. And then they go, oh, no, 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 no. We didn't mean it like that. We actually meant, like, we're just going to switch programs. Yeah. I went to uh, British Council. British. So, uh, yeah. That's that's, that's where I learned uh, most of my basic stuff. I actually... I used to have a tutor and uh, she was Vietnamese and she taught me, I didn't know anything. I, I knew vocabulary, but I didn't know anything until I was um, seventh grade. Like I, I can't make like a, a simple sentence. And uh, I used to have this tutor and she would, she like, would like encourage me to speak English to her. 
But I have this weird like feeling about speaking English to a Vietnamese person. <laughs> so yes. I would never say anything back. Like she would, she would say things in English and like ask me to respond, and I would just respond in Vietnamese. <laughs> and I kept doing that for like a whole year. And she was like, "Well, you know, your kid, he can actually learn, but he doesn't feel like speaking to me." And so that's why they <laughs> changed the program mm, for me. Got it. Got it. God, that's so weird. Uh, it's so interesting psychologically, though, right? Be because I think um, some I, of us can can say the same thing when we're speaking to our parents. Like when I have to speak to my mom or dad in English, it's so right, so awkward. Really, you felt yeah. that. I would, I, I would think that um, I would think that you you would be more natural in English, like talking to your parents. Right? Than, um, Vietnamese no. would be would I, be a language that you only speak at home. I go through the same thing. It's weird that we're even having this conversation because, um, yeah, I don't know what that is. Uh, they they only spoke Vietnamese growing up. I was born in the states. I'm 45, and I was born in the states, and I've attributed to um, my Vietnamese because, you know, we speak it consistently. I've done business with my mom and dad my whole life. And so I've had to speak Vietnamese with them. Uh, but whenever we have like, you know, or clients that come into, you know, our work and those guys are speaking in English and then my parents have to speak in English and then I have to talk to my parents in English. It's like the worst. It's so uh, uncomfortable to speak to them in English. Um, Knowing that they and I speak Vietnamese, I think that's sort of like what I, I can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, that's, that's how it feels. It feels kind of awkward at times. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, um, once you got to the other program, was it somebody who was not Vietnamese? Yeah. Um, there were a lot of foreign teachers and, uh, I think one of the my teacher, uh, his name was Duncan, I think, and uh, he was from England. And yeah, yeah, um, they, basically, they basically just teach you like a lot. Um, like they uh, they taught me about the Friends, the show. Yeah. So like you learn things from movies, and then uh, they do a lot of trivia questions and games and stuff like that. And I, I was actually quite good at that. Uh, I was never really good at anything in school. So like it really took interest in you, that. You probably have a killer memory. Um, um, not so much right now. I think uh, I had vivid memories when I was a, a kid. You know, I would have like uh, flashes of uh, really vivid memories from even back in kindergarten. But then uh, now, you know, 27 sometimes i don't know where my keys are and all, all those things you know wait till you get to my age <laughs> does it get worse oh my god no idea no idea and I, i'd imagine another 20 more years it's probably but i i think you know it just comes with it and there's a, a different sort of uh beauty that comes with getting older too you lose some of the unique things about being young but then you gain some other uh fascinating attributes about your personality that 
uncovers itself as you know as, as the years go on. So I'm looking forward to being 70 and 80 and figuring out what the the natural things that are in store for me. Um, so you get on a plane, you fly out to the U.S. to be with your uncle's family. Where did you Where did you go? Um, so I flew from, uh, I think from Hanoi, actually it was a tough memory cause, uh, I, the first day that I, uh, fly, you know, I was supposed to fly away uh, at 12 at night. And so my whole family came, you know, uh, my grandparents and my uncles. And I remember, uh, my cousins, you know, they, oh, were, they were saying goodbye. Good. And then I went to the airport and then the flight got delayed, but they didn't tell you how long they were going to delay it for. So uh, we just kept waiting like an hour by the hour. And then they keep on sending uh, notifications. And so it took me six hours and at the, the fam- airport. Did the family stay for six hours? No, they didn't. They uh, went home because they thought I was going to be on the plane, yeah. but um, I ended up staying at the airport for six hours, and uh, luckily, luckily for me, I didn't have to travel by myself because I have another, like my aunt, like another cousin of my dad was like going on onto that trip with me, and uh, so she was with me the whole time. Uh, I got like flight sickness because I never flew that long before, you know. The longest I flight is was to uh, Thailand when I was in fifth grade, so it was like an hour. But then that flight took me like twenty five hours, and I went to uh, Huntington, West Virginia. Damn, twenty five so hours! Experience. Wow. <laughs> and why Huntington, Virginia? It's because that's where your dad's cousin was. Yeah, that's where. Uh, um, my uncle and his family lives and um it was a small town you know um it was not what i expected when i came and i saw everything from the airport and uh right after that like right after i landed uh i went and traveled to new york and boston you know i took on like a little trip because my dad wanted me to to see more of the the states you know it's like uh um, you know, I think what he told me was like, oh, you know, this is not what, what it's like, like around, you know, you got to see like other cities as well. So, uh, I went and took on that trip, I think Boston, DC, New York, and then, uh, came back to Huntington and start school. Who did you go with? I, I think I came in late July. Huh? Who did you go with? Was that that trip that, uh, um, that trip I went with, uh, with my aunt, the one that, um, that I flew with. So she, she also has like business over there. So, um, I think I was lucky to, uh, have her around cause I was only 15. So it would be hard for me to do all that by myself. Yeah. And what was your initial thoughts when you got to New York and DC and all that? Oh, um, when I first came to New York, like I, I remember being in times square, and it looks exactly like the, the movies, you know, like all the, the films that I've seen 
uh, about a guy who just came to Times Square and like looking up like this, like I was exactly the same. And I felt like everybody was moving so fast, you know, they, they were walking, but it was like they were running. And then I was looking up and then I bumped into someone. I turn around, I, I try to apologize and I bumped into someone else when I was doing that. You know, the other, the guy was already left, you know, the guy already left. And so <laughs> I think it was um, one of the, my most memorable uh, moments. Man, there, there's, <laughs> there's probably so many scenes like that that are written in movies about that, what you just described. You know, you bump into somebody, you turn around and then they're gone and you bump into another person. That's like, um, it's a typical thing in, in that busy part of New York, right? It's just out of control. Right. But you know, Saigon's like that to, though too. Saigon, in many ways, is very um, similar to, to New York in, in its energy, right? Um, I kept thinking of Saigon like um, the way I think in my, inside my head is that Saigon is more like L.A. And uh, Hanoi is more like New York. Oh, really? just my, that's just my, my oh, thought on it. Is, uh, it's it's only because um you know like in LA's they they um they do films and you know they have Hollywood and all that stuff and then mm-hmm. in uh, New York I think they focus more on like paintings literature and Broadway so I feel like in just just my thought you know I I agree I agree I think I was um more focused on the energy of the traffic and you know the the, the uh, hustling, the hustling of, of the energy, but you're right, I, and I want to get into that right now. Um, oh, and the, the liveliness um, of the city, then um, yeah, definitely, it yeah. feels a lot more um, faster paced than yeah. Hanoi. And Let, yeah, let's talk about that comparison: um, Hanoi and New York and Saigon and, and LA. Uh, I think it's a very, very accurate comparison. The, the cradle of Van Hua or the cradle of, of culture. Uh, when we think of like the old days of like the actors that um, sort of like the, 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 the benchmark of, of sort of like Hanoi, right? That sound, uh, the, the old Hanoian language. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's from Hanoi and it's just sort of like the gold standard. Um, you know, when my mom talks about people from Hanoi, you know, her, she's, she was from, uh, from the North, but left when she was, you know, four years old, but she retains that sort of that nostalgia of, um, anybody who speaks in that, that, uh, that, uh, that age, she used to always say on how beautiful it is. And it's kind of bled into me too, you know, um, why do you think it started there? How? Why is Hanoi sort of like the the start of? Um, why is it like the New York of 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 the you know of Vietnam? Well, I think because um, um, people in Hanoi, I think they. I think part of the reason, like I always thought this, uh, I always thought of this. Um, Part of the reason is that they have the winter, and in Saigon they don't have the um, you know four seasons, right? Like, so in Hanoi, you know, when it gets cold, I feel like people 
slow down a bit and uh, they try to, it's kind of really hard to explain, but I always felt that they, um, they like it slow. You know, they, they kind of enjoy the uh, peacefulness and like the, uh, I don't know how to, I don't know how to explain That's it. Perfect. Right. It's but perfect. Um, It's perfect uh, uh, explanation. It makes sense. Um, and, well, if you think about it, right, uh, in the world, all the colder climate places sort of have um, what you just explained. Um, uh, it has sort of like this clarity, right? And you're indoors more because it's cold outside. And, and here's another freaky thought. I think if you kind of graph the world and you put cold climates versus warm climates... I think you'll find that colder climates in the world go to war much more often than the warmer, hotter climates. So the people that come from... I think so. Cold, I mean, I didn't make this up. I've, I've heard it so many times in my life. I, it's just, yeah, if you think about it, you know, like you got time to just like plot on how to kill your enemy. And, you know, you think about, you know, how to take over another country when it's like cold. By the fireplace. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But when it's like war, you're like you're like fishing in the in the in the, in the lake in the stream, and then you just go out to the backyard and pick some plantains and bananas, and you're just like chilling. You don't have to really worry about survival, right? And uh, I think that's one of the reasons for me why I like Saigon a lot too. Is that I I would enjoy the cold weather, you know, if it's like one or two weeks, but once it's like you know two or three months, then. Um, I've always enjoyed the sun more because I feel like it helps me to be in a better mood, you know? Um, like when I'm in Saigon and it, it's hot and I see the sun all the time, I'm just more happy. Yeah. Um, like, you know, because they, they have that uh, winter blues, whatever they call, you know? It's a real thing. And yeah. I feel like it applies to me. Yeah. It, Whenever I'm in cold weather for a long time, it's... It, takes a toll on my mind i think yeah it, there's an actual term for it i think it's called um sad like it's <laughs> oddly it's supposed sad but it's like seasonal affect disorder or something or i don't know what the d stands for but it's basically if you don't get enough of that um okay. that vitamin d production from the sun you kind of like sort of like depressed state and but maybe that depressed state like like london and Seattle, it's always cloudy. I was going to say London because I have a few friends from London and they say the same thing because um, they always mention that it's always cloudy and it's, it rains a lot. And so I watch, I watch a lot of soccer too. And I noticed that a lot of the players that are really good from South America or Spain, like where, where it's sunny, they play really well. And then some of them come to England and they were never really the same players that they were and i think one of the reason is the weather and the culture you know because they because we, we we think of soccer players as like robots that play football but yeah. uh, play soccer but they actually are also humans and i think it affects them as well these soccer players uh come to england and they become writers and shit <laughs> and they do poetry <laughs> drink tea <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I talked to my circle of friends at, about this whole London thing. You know, a lot of them love London, you know, one of their favorite cities. Uh, but other than being um, the cradle of the English speaking world, you know, obviously it all originated from there, but there's a lot of bands, rock bands and, you know, neo soul singers and all these people that are British that, you know, that take over that writing space and music space. And okay, it's English and, it, you know, you, the language comes from there. But I think on top of all that, the amount of production that comes from a little island has a lot to do with its uh, cloudy, you know, season. Have you ever been to uh, London? Yes. Before? Yes. yes. I've, I've never been. I've actually never been to England and it's my goal. But with the situation right now, I think it's going to take me a few more years to, yeah. Yeah. to do it. It's, uh, you know, I, I think it's very much like, um, like Hanoi, you know, the, 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 the mentality. Because, you know, I think once you have so much layers of culture built on top of culture, it's hundreds of thousands, not hundreds of thousands, but it's, you know, hundreds of years of people. It's like, okay, it's like computer code, right? Like in the beginning, it was like very like ones and zeros. And then somebody built a language over that. It was really basic. I mean, there was a, a programming language called basic. And then you build on top of that. And then pretty soon, uh, so many shortcuts and contextual sort of um, ideas are built into the 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 subsequent languages and then it becomes like smooth but then it's like it becomes so complex but at the at the top layer there's so much built-in meaning that drives all the way down so it's like that with i think um the english culture and the culture from hanoi you know that but in saigon it's like such it really is like la because la and saigon is like it's it's such a twai mai you know the the, the climate's so twai mai and people are just sort of like a little bit more free to kind of um, not really worry about the, like, like you do in the North or, you know, in the North, everything's so. Right. Clean right. And, and then uh, sometimes they get kind of nosy, like, uh, you know, like I've had experiences when I used to live in this building and then everything you do, people around you seem to know about, you know, better than you at times. <laughs> And they, they would know, like, oh, what time you came home and, oh, he has a girlfriend that he, like, like uh, you know, she comes here and then <laughs> at, like, 11, whatever, you know. People notice that kind of stuff in, um, I think, in Hanoi, much more so than uh, Saigon. In Saigon, you can just, I don't even know my neighbors. Like, yeah. I've never seen them. Like, barely. I wish I I would have spent more time in Hanoi. You know, I um, I, I go back to Vietnam well, before COVID, it, maybe three times a year, sometimes four times a year. And uh, I've only been to Hanoi twice. So I've been to Vietnam like a gazillion times, but Hanoi, you know, once with my parents in the early, um, in the early 2000, like it was in 2000. And then one more time, I mean, it was seven years ago, just about for two, three days. I wish that I could spend a lot more time. It seems like such a romantic city. And uh, they also have amazing food. 
I've been in uh, Saigon for four years, and I like a lot of things here. But one of the things that I still, I still think that Hanoi is better is the food. They have really amazing food, and uh, I think it's just my taste, you know. But then uh, maybe because I was born there and I was raised there for you know fifteen, seventeen years. Um, but yeah, the only thing that I really, really miss is the the amazing food. That we have in Hanoi. You know, I think if I really do want to talk about sort of like the the uncomfortable difference between being uh, from the north and the south, because my my dad's from the south, my da- my mom's from the north, so I feel like I can talk about that because you know I I'm fifty fifty, right? I'm I'm yeah. both the, the cultures, so I don't want to like um, slam any cultures, but I do want to get uh, because you can articulate this in english and i think we're we're given a little bit of uh leeway to, to yeah. talk about it and not get slammed you know let's not put any culture down but i do want to talk about the difference between um the two because when when you're in the south when you're in saigon and you speak with a hanoian accent do you get any sort of um uh, kind of prejudice or distance with the with the uh actually surprisingly i um i think sometimes i do um even working sometimes like uh i i used to work in films and uh you know that one day i was just walking and i overheard people talking about some people from the north that they happened to know in film school or whatever yeah and they i think they have this kind of fix um because I, I feel like, you know, I'm I'm from Hanoi, right? But I came in here and, uh, you know, I also try to adapt. And I don't know if it's, um, I think part of the reason is also because I was from the States. So now coming back to Saigon, it feels amazing because sometimes it feels like, you know, um, you're in a foreign country, but it's still Vietnam. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah, it has that that kind of quality. Um, even what we discussed earlier about you know how people from the north sometimes are, um, and so I was I was in the, on this film set and I heard um, not many nice things. Some guy were talking about like how people from the north, uh, the filmmakers, like they don't uh, they don't make films. They just talk about it and they basically making fun of the accent too. You know, like. <laughs> and things like that and they weren't attacking you or anything right oh they weren't but um they were saying something like oh you know they knew that i was there so he knew that i was there so when i sat down he was like oh i'm sorry if i offended you but that's just like characteristic of people from the north and i was like okay because <laughs> i couldn't say anything because i was like the only northern guy in the whole thing <laughs> there were like 10 other people there but Vietnamese people are very oh. north and south. They're very they're very blunt. So you know, hey, you look like yeah. you're a little weight. You're like ten pounds over. <laughs> they just call it out. They don't give a fuck. Hey. Yeah. So you know that's that comes with just humans in in Vietnam, or you know, it's just Vietnamese people even in America. They just call you out or very blunt about things, which I appreciate sometimes. But um, and uh, you know what? There's there's another funny thing too. Is that I I've noticed that um. Like even in, in in film roles, 
you know, sometimes they would pick a Northern uh, accent actor mm-hmm. to play <laughs> the bad guy. Um, like, yeah, like uh, the cunning, like the con man. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I played a con man before, and I, I'm from the north. You know, so <laughs> it's uh, I, I kind of see where they're coming from. I, I see where they're coming from. To be honest, like there are a lot of people. They they mistaken them for being like Hanoian, but they're actually not that. Um, you know, because people from Hanoi, not many of them are actually from Hanoi. You mm-hmm. know, there are a lot of people from different parts in the in the north that comes in, and uh, mm-hmm. I think it just depends on the person. But sometimes they they get like this bad image from the south of you know being like Hanoi, but they're they're actually not Hanoi. Can you tell when you run into people if they're from like like some people um, are from New York, but they're really from like some other place, you know, like an hour away well, from? I can tell based on the accent most mostly. Because like there's there some parts that um, from the north that you you kind of know like oh they're not from the city like they're not from Hanoi maybe they're from like different cities like uh, the way they speak it's just a slightly bit different but you can tell but then I I can't tell people from the south wow. from the, yeah you know if Gangta uh, to it would be like more yeah, like it would be uh, difficult for me to tell that apart. But uh, for the northern accent, then I can, I can pick, pick up. Can you tell, like you know, Ben um, Yung has a lot of um, northern speaking no- people from the north and Ben Yung, and it's it's just sort of like that area. There's so so many people. Can you? distinguish if they're like from Ben Yung who's been there for a long time but they're from the north and you know okay you kind of like blended the southern language in but you still speak with the northern can you kind of differentiate that yeah I can I can find I can I can differentiate that and um it's easy for me to find um find out if you know from the north and you're trying to do a, a southern accent and uh you know the other way around too, you know, if a southern uh, guy from the south trying to speak a northern accent, I can, unless he's like really good, then I can like tell the difference. Can, can you do it? Can you uh, code switch and and speak southern? <laughs> no, I mean I I only do it like jokingly because I I used to say this phrase, you know, like oh <laughs> <laughs> it's quite stupid, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I only know how to say that one phrase to just because uh, they used to make fun of me of saying it like I thought I was doing it quite good, yeah. and they were they were saying like oh you know it sounds like from the old like martial art movies and they uh, they have the 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 dub you know long yeah. thing the phim trưởng right yeah yep <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. It's super funny. So you get to um, you get to the states, and you you do that big tour. Then you settle into Huntington, Virginia, and you start your what first year as a freshman in high school. Um, I've done my ninth grade in uh, Vietnam. So okay. when I came, I started out as a sophomore. They recommended me to uh, start as a freshman, but I, I said no. 
And then they also asked me for, uh, you know, they asked me if I wanted to, uh, like a new name, like an English name. Yeah. And uh, I actually decided to keep my name, uh, Tang. Holy shit. And I, you know, I thought about it. I thought about it for like a day. I couldn't come up with any name, you know, like I, I, I couldn't think myself as like Chris or, uh, you know, I was thinking about a few names and then I just couldn't, I didn't think it was me. And so I actually decided to keep my name, although uh, it was kind of hard for them to spell it, you know, sometimes because they, they kept spelling it like Tang Fan, you know, like T-A-N-G instead of uh, T-H-A-N-H. And they probably thought and uh, Than, did they ever put a Than? Because in Vietnamese, the TH is a hard T, right? And in, in English, the right. TH is a sort of a, a softer. Right. They usually just call me like the, the orange because that's easier for them to pronounce. You know, the, the tang, the oh, tang. orange uh, powder. And then so like, uh, that's how they would just call me. You're like, there's no fucking G on the end of that H. There's no, where, right. <laughs> where do you get Tang from? Yeah, it's it's crazy. But look, you know, that's an amazing, that's an amazing thing that you just brought up because um, my generation, when we got to the States, many of us were assigned American names or English names, and we kind of have to live with that mark um for better for worse right i'm not complaining um it, it is what it is in history but you had the privilege basically to decide if i'm going to go in that direction and if you think about it right this is a big distinction in in your history because you were given the choice to not give a flying fuck about what the white community or an american would think about your name you're like, I'm going to go into this new place. I'm going to fucking keep my name. Yeah, I think about it for a day. That's a lot of power that the community yeah. that I grew up in, we were fucking shoved down. You know, our parents were even like shitting in their pants going, oh, okay, I got to come up with the name for them. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to assimilate in, in, in their school. Guys like me, I was like born with the name. I was never even given a Vietnamese name in the beginning until... My grandmother asked my mom from Vietnam, she's like, yo, what's the kid's name? And then she had to come up with something. She told me she said, I had to figure it out. But um, yeah, that's, that speaks volumes of, of, of where uh, the confidence of your generation. And, and I, I, I marvel in it. I think it's amazing that you are given that sort of that agency to say like, yo, man, I'm going to keep my name. But actually at the time, I didn't think... That, I didn't think too much of it, but, <laughs> you know, but, you know, um, I don't, I think I never really uh, regret that decision though. You know, I think um, it was just hard for me to find names <laughs> that, that, that I think, because um, the only names and the people I really know are from, you know, uh, films and yeah. I know a couple of like uh, my dad's friends and like uh, colleagues and, but they, they had like really um, different name, you know, like different sounding names. And uh, I just, I just couldn't come up with any names. And um, I thought that I, I would like for them to learn how to pronounce my name. Yeah. And I don't mind it. They, uh, 
made a mistake, you know? That that's awesome. That's a, like what I said. It's a fuck you. Like my name is Tan. You're gonna learn it. You know, <laughs> amazing. And here I am. You know, growing up, I'm going. My name is Kenneth, but um, it's not really. You know, it's not really my culture. And you know, feeling that baggage, that insecurity of having an American name. But I'm like, dude, I don't look like that name that I was given. Right? I don't look like She's a kid. Sorry. Say again. I I mean, you were the first that I've met with that name. And I thought that it was, you know, like a, like a actual, like an actual choice. Like, no, it seems like it suits you. Oh, Cause I, I have never met any Kenneth <laughs> in my life. <laughs> actually, you know, it was, uh, so when we got to the United States, there was a family, it was an American family that sponsored my mom and dad in. And, uh, my mom was like eight months or whatever pregnant with me. So, we landed a month later, they had me and the family that um, brought us in the sponsor family, the, 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 the person, um, the head of the family was Kenneth Eugene Spangler. So my, my dad, in honor of him, he was a very good man, um, named me Kenneth Eugene Wynn. And so that, that was the name I was given, you know, which is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, it was a, he was a great man. He was a, a very wonderful person. So I'm I'm happy with that. That that's a, a. But as you get into the history of colonialism and you know where you as Tan today, a younger man getting to America in a different circumstance, there becomes a, a totally different meaning from the name that you um, were given in at birth to retain that identity. It's a huge choice that. Many of us, you know, to this day is a source of, uh, you know, curiosity. It's a source of pain sometimes. It's a source of, it's a weird part of our identity. Okay, but what about your hui, hui mi? Is it pronounced hui mi? Like, what, what is that? Where did that come from? Oh, <laughs> I get asked this a lot. Because, like, when they find out that my name is not hui. Because a <laughs> lot of people just think it's like hui mi, right? Like, it's like I'm we, but it's um, basically it's a channel that I made as a joke um, for one of my friends because he didn't like the nickname that I was giving him, like uh, we man, right? So I I made that channel, and then when I started YouTube, everybody was already doing vlogs and stuff. Uh, there were like a couple people, and um, at the time, everybody who wanted to start YouTube, people would say. Like, oh, he's just trying to copy this guy. He's trying to copy this guy. And so I was like, what? well, I have this channel that I've made, like, before anybody else made their channel, you know, uh, this Weemi Productions. And it's actually a pretty cool name. I thought it would be, like, a really cool name because it's, like, short and people can remember it. Catchy. But then I still introduce, I still introduce me, myself, uh, introduce myself as a tank on the videos but then uh later on people would just kind of catch on that name and they were saying like we me and i was like okay that that sounds kind of almost catchy you know like i i like the name and uh i think it brings me a lot of luck too so um you know vin diesel is not actually vin diesel <laughs> or like you know <laughs> uh so um later on i found out and um I, cause I never really thought that my YouTube channel was going to be 
um, getting that kind of recognition that that it did. So, um, you know, if I was given a second chance to to change the name, I think I would still keep it. Keep it, yeah, yeah. It's like the idea of uh, branding and logo, right? Like, you know, sometimes you might have a killer, amazing, beautiful logo. Like we talk about this, like in my businesses, we we go through branding exercises and and all of that. And uh, over the years, what I've realized is the branding emotional connection with the audience and the product maker eventually will happen if you do the right thing with the product and whatever the logo looks like it looks like shit or it looks really amazing it all depends on like how you build that emotional connection with people and over the years it just becomes you know either it's gonna like shine really bright or it's just gonna go away and fade away if you don't take care of the the, the brand side what do you think, and I know this is going to be an awkward question, but what do you think was the the reason your YouTube sort of vlog caught on? Because you said uh, you didn't expect it to become whatever it became. What do you think was the sort of the source of that? Uh, well, I've heard a lot of people say the source of it was because of my good looks. <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, which, uh, which I never really believed, you know, because uh, I thought, you know, I can be funny at times, you know, I never really pay attention to my looks, you know, back when I was young, you know, I had like braces and all those things. So I grew up thinking that I was quite ugly. I wrote this on my Facebook as well. And then when I, cause I was hitting puberty and like a lot of things changes, all that stuff. And I think, like in all seriousness um there were other people that were doing uh really serious topics about the world i mean not the world but like about vietnam and the culture at the time and they were attacking like all these different um you know controversials like dramas and, yeah. and stuff and mine was more like um just more about daily life and uh like a whole different sign you know like a younger younger uh insight on 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 social things at the time and um i think part of the reason for for that success for all of us at the time was because we we're so different right but then we're also friends and we're we were in a group so yeah <laughs> when, when was the moment where it sort of like really caught on fire and just kind of blew up and exploded and you're like holy shit there's something here um i was started making uh, a few videos you know i started from i think from block seven or ten like the tenth video uh i got to like ten thousand subscribers and a lot of my friends were like hey you're like famous now and I'm like, well, I don't think so. You know, 10,000, it's like a lot, but um, you can't say it's like famous yet, right? And then I hit vlog 12 and 13. And uh, I think overnight, a lot of people, like, I think there were a couple of um, really well-known, like, teenagers at the time. And they were all, like, posting, like, reposting my videos oh, and mm -hmm. um, tagging me and stuff. Yeah. And so I was really surprised when uh, I saw all that. And then uh, I went outside one day for, um, I went, uh, I walked through this festival thing. They were, they were like selling stuff. It's kind of like a mini market. 
mm-hmm. for students. And so I was walking by and then this girl just came up to me and was like, can I have your autograph? And I was like, I was in shock because first of all, like people nowadays, like I don't think that they still ask for autographs because yeah. they have cell phones, right? Yeah. Usually just take pictures. And then I have like really, I have a really bad signature that I still have till this day. So I was like, I was like, okay. And then that was the first moment of like, okay, wow. Like a lot of people watches my videos and like, I'm an idiot on there, you know, like I got to watch out. (laughs) So, so like it started quite early, you know, um, I was back. Okay. So I was in college for a year, right after high school. And then I was doing painting and I was so focused into uh, my, my school and, um, and my art, you know, I, I was like focused. I wanted, I ran a place so that I would come back next year to, to uh, have my own studio and paint with my friends. And then uh, our family kind of hit this um, financial problem at the time. And so it was a hard decision for my dad to tell me that, oh, you know, we were hitting this bump. Like it's really hard to maintain the uh, financial aspect of the school. And so I was like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll come back. No worries. You know, I haven't had the Tate holiday for like four years. You know, I don't mind like taking a year off. And so I went, uh, went back to Vietnam and I started YouTube and just within that year, Holy shit. So wait a minute. So you, you didn't have like a rope. It, it didn't, God, this is crazy. I didn't realize that. So you did four years in the States and you're like, okay, I'm going on about my studies. And then your dad's like, all right, we got to get back. Can't afford it. And you get back and you start the YouTube shit and it took off. Yes. Man. So like I said, I was, I'm in a lot of like, I have a lot of luck. Yeah. The kind of crazy uh, shit that happens in life, right? Because think about it. If you did not have that weird financial hardship with your dad, you'd be like probably, you know, stayed in the States and your life could have taken a whole different course, right? right? What were you studying? Well, in um, when I was finishing high school, I, uh, I actually thought about film school because I've always wanted to edit videos and, um, I used to make videos with my friends, you know, like I make them act and I would like film it and go and edit and show it to the class. Yeah. And so I, I knew that I really liked making videos uh, from like very young age. And I still I learned everything by myself, like Windows Movie Maker and all that stuff, you know, basic edit stuff. And so um, after I finished high school, I wanted to go to film school. And I told my dad that I wanted to go to film school, but then. He gave me this Asian dad, like, talk, you know, about careers. And because he's a painter himself. Like full-time. And he's, a, he's a full-time uh, abstract painter. Well, and he doesn't do anything uh, else other than paint. Yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a full-time artist. And uh, he, he really believes that I have the skills and, uh, you know, the, the natural talent to follow that path. And yeah. he was encouraging me to do it because he felt like he could help me along the way and he, he could like guide me into that career path and I would have like no problem, um, you know, surviving in that kind of career, you know? 
he was saying like, oh, you know, if you were going to study film and we don't know anybody, like I don't know anything about film, don't know anybody in the industry, you know, it, it's, it's hard to break into and do things like that. And so I was convinced, you know, I was 15, uh, 18, you know, 17 before college. So I applied to this school in uh, Cleveland Institute of Art. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, at the time, I think I should have went to somewhere, uh, some further place. But then I wanted to stay with my girlfriend at the time, my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> and I wanted to, like, somehow be able to still, like, take a bus back yes. to Huntington to, like, visit her and stuff. And uh, they, they also gave me a, a small scholarship. It's like, I think it was like 40 grand. So it was quite a lot for me, but then yeah, the tuition small. is still... 40 grand. Yeah, but, well, it, it's, small, it's small if you um, compare it to the tuition. Yeah. Tuition is pretty high. So, uh, so yeah, I went in for a year and uh, I've never been so focused in my life because... Mm. I felt like it was the only thing that I was good at, you know. I was never really good at anything else in middle school. You know, in high school, actually, my grades got better because I was by myself and had to do everything by myself. Um, but, yeah, like, uh, after one year that happened, came back to Vietnam, and then I started YouTube. And uh, the rest is history. And you, you want to know, you want to know this, this, this other story? Yeah, of course. Like after, um, <laughs> after um, that year, right? Like the YouTube thing. Um, my dad wanted me to go back to school, but at this time, you know, I think my brain is so fixed on like doing YouTube, and yeah, I wanted to do film again. So I went back. I did one semester, and I told my dad that, um, you know. Uh, I think I'm just wasting money here. You know, I'm, I go to class, I do everything, but then I, I don't put my mind to it anymore. You know, I want to do videos. I want to do films, you know, let me go back to Vietnam and I'll, I'll, I'll do film, you know, I'll, I'll yeah. make a film or I'll be in a film. And then uh, somehow he actually believed me and let me do it. And so I came back for two years. I didn't do anything. I was doing like, videos and i was doing like commercials to like support myself you know and he was getting kind of angry he was <laughs> he was like this close to like force me to go back to school one more time and then Ingham, right and anderson messaged me on youtube and it went straight to my uh trash what? trash mail and then i i looked at it it says like hey uh i'm anderson you know uh I'm the producer of this film hollow and my friend is ham and we wanted to do this, uh, this film, Bitcoin Heights. And the email was like six months ago and it's in my trash box. So oh, I was like, shit. I was like, I was like, is this a scam? Like, I don't even know this guy. Like it could be like a big scam or something, but I still wrote him back. I was like, okay. Um, I'm sorry. I was late. You know, I didn't know anything. Um, Maybe in the future, we can still work together. And then he emailed me back like right away. He was like, hey, we're still uh, in Saigon. You know, there's like one month before we shoot. We still haven't found the guy. And Damn. you want to fly him here and cast? And then I flew in and uh, that's how I met him. 
Anderson and uh, in half. That is an amazing story, man. <laughs> yeah. That is I felt like a story. I had um Anderson on uh, like four episodes ago. I've I've seen that episode actually. I was watching that episode the other night. Oh wow. You just realize how smart the guy is, right? Fuck. Yeah, he's like a living dictionary. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. He's like the walking Wikipedia of film. But dude, that's a crazy story, man. I cannot believe it. I, I was gonna ask you that much later. Like, how did you get in the business? But that's like the most random shit, you know? Getting reached yeah. in six months go by. You you could have never ever got on that train. Right. And somehow like I made it just on time, you know. Uh one month away, I came in and uh I've never even been to an audition. Like I didn't even know how I did. I went in and uh I met Ham for the first time. I talked to him and I think um the I think he kind of liked me from the start because yeah. like yeah. I could talk to him like this, right? Like I was saying uh I was asking him about the films. Yeah. Um like he he was giving me after the audition, he actually gave me a couple films so that I could watch. So I was like, all right, this is it. Like wow. Like I, I got this now. And then I came home, I watched everything that he sent me, and uh but he didn't say anything. Like he didn't write me, he didn't message me anything for like I think it was like two weeks. And I was like devastated. I was like, man, like maybe I blew it, you know? And I decided to message him. I was like, hey man, like uh I'm new, you know, I, I don't know anything, but if you give me a chance on this, I, I'll try my best. I'll work. I'll work hard, you know, just tell me what I need to do. And so I sent it to him and he didn't answer either. Like <laughs> I waited. Typical like a, week, a week goes by and I was like, okay, well, it was worth a shot, you know, like, and then he actually messaged me, uh, messaged me. He was like, Hey, um, didn't my assistant like tell you anything? I'm like, no. It's like, okay, Suboy is coming back to uh, Saigon from the States and uh, we wanted to try you guys together uh, if you're going to fly in, you know, in the next couple of days. So I booked a ticket, I uh, flew in, uh, did the casting with, with uh, Suboy. And then one, uh, I think NJV, you, you know uh, uh, NJV, right? Uh, he told me, uh, okay, we're... We're gonna have lunch upstairs. We're gonna have a meeting and lunch upstairs. Like you're welcome to come and hang out. And so I just came upstairs and he brought out the contract. So he was like, "Okay, you sign this, and uh, you were like ours." <laughs> so I was like, "Okay, <laughs> all right, I'll sign it." <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Like it was totally random and. Um, as I said, you know, uh, like the whole time up until this moment, I feel, I feel lucky a lot of the times yeah. that I get um, the things that I get right now. You know, I was uh, right before you um, a few days ago. I interviewed Gu Jing for four hours, right? Gu Jing you know, as a, a actress. The, the she's younger than you, right? Like the, no, no, she's, the she's, young in, she's in her 80s. She's like 
Oh, 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 that. Yeah. Okay, sorry, the, I, I, I'm mistaking the the two. Yeah, the two um, actresses. There's there's another Kyo Ching, but she's like much younger. Right, right. No, no, she's in her 80s, and you know there was a lot of ground to cover. There was four hours, and in the four hours, you realize when you listen to it how much it's like it's almost like God or a divine sort of like energy that kind of like is putting things into because she had a hard life. I mean, very difficult, but for some reason there was these things that had happened to her, like, you know, with you where it's just kind of like put in place and you're just like, that makes no sense, you know? Um, but then it all works out. It, it really does work out in the end. And, and, and another thing that I, I'm learning as I'm inter- interviewing a lot of people is a lot of times like this hardship that you go through, like, you know, your, your dad saying, Hey, I don't have enough money. Let's get you back. That opens up another door. And then at the time we never realized it's such a cliche, right? We, we don't think about like, uh, other doors opening up, but clearly more doors open up in a, in a, even in a more profound way than we actually think it does, you know, um, because even if I had to plan all this, you can't. I wouldn't be able to to plan. Yeah, such a good plan <laughs> like that, right? <laughs> I wouldn't. You know, if I finish school and come back here, like I wouldn't know how to contact people. Like, yeah, I just tell my dad I was going to do a film. I basically lied to his face because I didn't know anybody. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just told him I was going to do a film. Two years, I did a film. Right. And he wasn't even supportive in the beginning, but he is now. I think he's he, he's turned around. He's, uh, he's proud now. <laughs> but let me ask you, um, do you still paint? Actually, I do. Uh, I actually lost uh, touch for like I stopped painting for a few years when I came back and when I was doing uh, films and uh, getting back onto YouTube, I, I stopped painting for a long, long time. And uh, I actually started again last year. Mm-hmm. And so I think I've only painted like 15 paintings in the in the time of one year. And I, I'm painting uh, a lot more often now. And I'm actually like, since it's like COVID and stuff, you have a lot more, you have a lot more time to, uh, think about things and uh, paint. Yeah. What do you paint about? Um, I usually just paint like uh, the, the things that happened in my life. Like uh, I would pick like a certain memory, like certain people's in memory. I do, uh, sometimes I do portraits. And um, basically I haven't found a style for myself yet i'm still in that in that um phase of like finding my my uh voice yeah the voice um but i paint um it's hard to describe what i paint but it's uh, other than you know like uh i can i have I actually happened there but uh i don't know if i should like show I, I, would, you uh, some. I was just gonna ask you can you show it to me can you hold it up okay uh okay yeah it's like uh this painting i was painting this building 
it's like a house, but it's holy like shit. Dang. Damn. That is fucking cool, man. Holy cow. You know, um Ham Angham, he told me to really get into this with you, and I had no idea what he meant by that. You have another one? Um there there are a couple more small ones I can yeah. show you. Uh this is like a portrait of my nephew I painted a while back. Wow. And uh this is like my most recent painting. I painted a bear. Because uh, I'm painting this for my, uh, I'm, I'm starting a new series on YouTube. Okay. Again. And I'm painting this for, for that video. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. The water looks amazing. <laughs> yeah, it took me, I think it took oh me four God. days. Little. Um, this is like my, my latest. You don't painting. fuck around, man. So it was, it's it's easier to show it than describing yeah what I do. You feel like that break that you had from painting um, actually helped you, um, or do you wish you kept think, going? Um, actually, honestly, I wish I kept going because um, I feel like uh, I could have be I could have um, you know be at this level maybe two to three years ago, you know? Um, but then uh, taking a break from painting, it also, it's kind of like a blessing because like you appreciate it so much more when you come back to it. And uh, it helps you mentally. Because I think painting is a lot, has a lot to do with mental as well. Like it's, it's not just, um, it's like uh, you gotta be in the right mindset somehow, and um, I wouldn't I wouldn't have this uh, all these ideas and uh, way to express myself if I didn't have those experiences outside of painting. Yeah. So it kind of helps me to, you know, like, like mature myself as an artist. Kind yeah, of. it's part of finding your voice, right? And, uh, you know, I still, I still feel like I don't know a whole lot about painting because, like, um, even when I was in college, I was really bad at, like, knowing, like, the, the classical artists, and, like, the, the famous one. Mm -hmm. And you had to take an art history class uh, in college? I did. I wasn't good, but, I mean, it never, um, I never paid really... Uh, much attention to the stuff that I didn't like, you know? So I, I'm the kind of student that would be, um, I would say that I can be really focused and determined in the things I like. And then if I, if I don't like it from the start, then, uh, then I would be like a B minus student, you know, yeah. whenever it comes to the subject that I, that I'm not, that I'm not really, really interested in. Yeah, I think that's uh, the key component to um, anything that we do in life, right? You got to have, I hate the cliche of it, but you got to have passion. You got to really, like, really love what you do because even if you 
even if there's no money attached to whatever you do, eventually you'll find a way to monetize or support yourself doing that. But it takes a lot of confidence and a lot of um, belief that whatever you're doing is going to be okay in the end. Um, But then uh, one of the things about me uh, when I was a painter is I actually never thought that I would be a painter because I knew my dad, like I see, I've seen him work since I was a kid. And uh, he's actually um, the story that we, we had earlier about the financial, like that was like back then. But um, he's in his early 50s now, and he's actually um, becoming like a major like household name when it comes to abstract painting. Mm. And he, he has come a long way. But then it took him like 20, like 30 years. And he still, if, if you were to come to my house in Hanoi right now at this time, he would be in his studio painting. And he has that crazy determination and like work ethic that I don't see in myself yet when I paint. You know, I like to paint and I I spend a lot of time into the paintings that I, I want to invest my time in, but um I I just never saw myself as an as a painter, even when I was in school. Like I was good at doing that, but I never thought of myself as a painter. But also I think what contributed to that was because my dad keeps saying that I will be a painter. Yeah. And at first, I didn't want to do painting because I, I went to that school and I wanted to do uh, animation. I wanted to do uh, illustration and animation, but then uh, I get to see what it was like to be in that career. And I just didn't like the, um, like the work environment. Yeah. Um, they were in the cubicle and they they draw a lot on the computer like all day in the in the room and uh when i took because i was determined to do anything but painting because i didn't want to do the same thing that he does yeah but then um when i took that painting class and drawing i thought it was a lot of freedom like you take philosophy and then you talk and then you go out and you go to museums and you get to do things, you get to paint, and I actually enjoyed painting. I never thought that I, I would enjoy painting, but I did. And so that's why I took that path. And I had this weird relationship with painting. It's like on and off. Yeah. You don't know yet. You know, I often discuss this uh, very idea with parents on um, people who have kids on the show. Because I, I have kids that are, you know, right now two and four, and I'm always wondering sort of what is the healthy dose of like the pressure. But I can't, I, I know from my own experience, I can't be pressured into doing anything. I like, I have my own way of doing things. But I think your father had the reason why I think he's, this is just me speculating, the reason why he's able to go so hard at the paint or painting is because, um, Maybe as he was growing up, um, it was very cold and he probably didn't get the opportunity to be a full-time painter. And then now it's like, he's at a point in his life where, oh my God, like the privilege of having all that time to practice that art, you're looking at it and I'm looking at it, looking at our 
parents going, damn, man, you're always painting in the garage. You're always in the studio. And that's like hard work. But then we take a, a few steps back and we think about their childhood. And like, he probably was like dying to paint and spend on his entire life. But it was so cold back in the day when he was growing up. And now you, he gets a chance. So that pressure was an external pressure from society saying, you can't do this. You can't do it. Cause especially as a painter in Vietnam at the time, you're like, you're not going to make a living. And then, so I'm torn all the time be, between uh, looking at my children and going, um, thinking about their lives being so sung sung and they're not going to amount to shit. Right. But then I, <laughs> then I look at you and I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, everybody has their direction. Cause you are, you're turning into, a beautiful, you know, your your life's path is is turning into a, a very beautiful thing, despite this sort of like wonderful, because um, your dad probably thinks, you know, that life of a, a painter and, you know, you have a lot of talent that he can see in you, but your life is shifting because of, you know, that's not your path. Right. And it's also because like, because my dad, you know, like I know him, like, you know, I don't know if you uh, experienced this when, when you were younger, but like in Vietnam, it's like a cultural thing. I think it's like whenever uh, the the cousins and like the relatives get around, they would always like compare the kids like, yeah. oh, you know, like he's like that much taller. You want to like stand there and see who's taller and all that stuff. And he would always say like, so I'm, I'm like five, eight. Right. But he, he would always say like, oh, you know, my kid is like, it's like five, ten. And I always have to like correct him because like I know that he knows that I'm not five ten. <laughs> and then and then whenever he talks about me and my 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 skills, I know that I can draw and I can paint. But then just because of the way he is sometimes when he talks about me, kind of makes me think that, oh, you know, what if he's just saying that, you know? But then um interesting. I think, uh, you know, I, sometimes I, I thought that, but then, uh, but then I knew that he wasn't lying <laughs> because there's this one time, um, my sister also draws and her husband, like they, they all went to art school and stuff. And then one time they had to do homework and they, and they had, had a lot of homework they had to, to draw and paint. So I decided to come in and help them with one of the drawings. And I just like drew this painting uh, picture and I put it in the, the stacks. And then actually my dad was looking through all that and he stopped at that, at that uh, picture. And he was like, uh, did you do this? He asked, uh, he asked my sister. So he, he said it was good. And so he didn't know it was mine. So I was like, okay, maybe oh, okay, after that, after that, I was like, okay, maybe he really judges it the way it looks. Cause he, he's really, um, he's kind of a perfectionist too. Dude, that's a he's a lot different than than I am. Yeah, that's a fascinating story, man. You know, because you know we think in the in our minds as parents sometimes, oh, give give the kids some confidence, right? Give them some good shit, some some good sweet words and honey words to build their confidence. But you just brought up a really interesting point. You're like, all that shit made me doubt if I'm really good, and then you needed like <laughs> sort of like this organic blind test. That your father, you know, you had this, you know, this drawing that it was in the in the stack and proved to you, like, dude, he didn't know my work from my sister's work, or it, it, he really 
picked that one out and said, this one's quality. Man, it, thank you for sharing that because that's going to help me in my life raising my children, you know? Um, <laughs> think of, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. You don't think about I, I didn't mean to do it. Though. Like, I, I didn't mean to, to do it. It's just that um, it, it all happened by accident. Like, I, I was just happening to be there when he was looking through the pictures. And so, because I didn't tell him. So that that's why I thought that it was like okay, you know maybe I I knew that he he really judges it by um, by the way it looks and yeah. not because it's it's mine. Can I talk to you about the economy the economics of the art world in Vietnam? Do you know much sort of about it, like um, the art? Um, I can only tell you from my dad's perspective and. Uh, I think it changes a lot. Like, um, uh, I think a lot of people would be amazed at like, how much it changed. Because um, even for 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 me, like seeing him now and like he he's, I would say that he he he, uh, not even his peak yet, but he's quite successful now as an artist and. He's, he also traveled a lot, um, even when he was younger, to Europe and uh, have exhibitions and all that stuff. And I feel like uh, economics, I don't know so much uh, about the art war in Vietnam, besides uh, his friends. Because my, my family, my dad and my uncle also are painted. How... Um... I, I God, I'm so ignorant when it comes to this stuff. Even in the U.S., I'm very ignorant at it. Are there is there an art scene that has like art dealers and that they can go and be agents to sell paintings and works that help the artists? How does that sort of like that infrastructure work in Vietnam? Um, of course, they have uh, galleries, and uh, from what I know, because I'm not I'm not too deep into it, but um, uh, they also have like galleries and agents and uh, uh, sometimes there are private collectors that, that would come to the studio and uh, pick out the paintings. And um, before, I think about five to ten years ago, the majority of the customers were uh, foreigners. But now there are a lot of Vietnamese collectors. Mm. And they, they're willing to like, to pay for paintings yeah. and they, big bucks. And um, it's a good thing for all artists. And there are a lot of artists that comes in like every, every year, a lot, a lot of them. Also, partly the reason why I don't think that I'll make it in the art world, even till this day. Like I've never sold a painting before. Like I never try and sell my paintings. And uh, I have yet to like sell one of my paintings. So but that, that's because you didn't. I mean, have you put anything on the market? Have you called up an agent and said, or a gallery and said, "Hey, I'm ready to to put together a collection" or anything like that? I mean, I I imagine if you step off and did that, that something would move, right? Um, <laughs> I would hope so. But I, I don't know. I've never tried. And uh, even my dad was encouraging me to 
to post uh, things online because he he runs a page now for uh, collectors and uh, even artists to you know check out the paintings and stuff. But uh, he encouraged me to post on it, but I haven't posted anything. It's crazy. I was going to say to you after the call, after this um, uh, being with you, I was going to, when I hit stop record, I was going to be like, yo, can I buy that house one, that upside down house? And, <laughs> and I'm like, if you've never sold anything, put a price on it. Uh, I'm Bao, you know, Bao Win. he's going back to Vietnam, like in April or something. I would love for you to wrap it up and I'll pay. I, I want to be the first customer I'm telling you right now. <laughs> I'll be. <laughs> I'm not a rich man, but you, you know, I'll, I'll pay whatever symbolic thing you want. I, I would love to have that, and I would love to be the first guy to to purchase that um that painting if if you're willing to part with it. I'm being dead serious. Oh now. man, that's crazy. <laughs> that's serious, right? Now. Yeah, yeah. I want to be that. I want to be the guy who says this is the first one that was sold, and you know, I'm calling it out right now. So. Or you know, hold on to it. I'll, I'll I'm claiming it uh, if you're willing to let it go, of course. Um, and I'll pay you for it. And it's actually I'll... in a frame, and it's uh, it's ready to be to be gone somewhere. But I'm just still keeping it here. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> you know, right now, right now, like you call a price out, whatever. Like I'll tell you if I can't afford it, but <laughs> if the price is you know good enough, I'll... I I think that this is like the craziest thing because you mentioned it is like. As an artist, you know, like you want your paintings to sell for a lot of money, but then I don't know how to put a price on it, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's not like you can just put out a price and like a lot of people want to buy it because because I I think you got to work your way up just like anything else. Absolutely. But then, um, yeah, like it's crazy because like even when I was in school. Um, they taught me a lot about the, the market side of the paintings. Like my professor would told me that, you know, um, if you think you're going to make it as, as, a, a, as, as a painter, a just by painting, then you're not going to be a painter. Yeah. And then you have to build that um, skills, like the market skill, like marketing skills along with your painting skills. So you got to come to galleries and like, actually introduce themselves introduce yourself to the collectors and show your paintings and do all that that side thing dude you um, know what you you have a massive advantage over any of these painters and let me tell you what it is hey do you have the following um as a you know whoever your position is right now in the, in the entertainment world but you also have the know-how to get that word out you 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 speak the language of the modern language of technology to get it so you're not going to have a i mean i'm honestly have a problem and you know there's like wall space right here that I, i'm going to shift this probably a little bit more and i would love to put it right here oh, okay. right yeah i'm calling it out right now like the this this poster right here is um bow winds um be water the yeah, be water yeah, and so I would love to have something right here. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That would be really cool. I thought about that when you showed it to me. I'm like, you know, um, this is a, a... You know, actually, Ham Ham told me that he wanted me to do a portrait uh, of him and, uh, and Jane. Mm -hmm. And I, 
I asked him to send me the photo, but I don't know if uh, I think that because he wanted to to have it to her by the anniversary. Oh. And uh, I asked him, I asked him uh, if uh, he would send me the photo, but I think he was busy on set that day, and he never really he never sent me anything, and I I kind of forgot about it. And now, now that you mentioned like everything with the painting, I it actually came to my mind just now that I, uh, yeah, I should have mentioned him. Like I should have messaged him because <laughs> I I actually asked him twice, but you know how he doesn't reply yeah. and stuff. Sometimes. Yeah, he's he's definitely um, hard to reach sometimes. Um, I I am dead serious about that house painting, so we can talk about it after. But um. Dead serious. I love it. <laughs> it just felt like, oh my god, I can't believe like that uh, that that exists in the world, you know, um, something like that. I um, in a, in a time when I I felt like there were a lot of things in my mind that wasn't at the right place. Yeah. So it's basically a house in the air, but flipped. And uh, sometimes, you know. Um, a lot of people can have a lot of different meanings into the painting, but to me, the mindset was just like, you know, I need to get something out of my system when I was feeling all these feelings that I can't deal with, you know, and I wanted to paint something because painting actually lets out is if you have certain kind of emotions and sometimes painting can help you um, express it and like it, it, it's kind of like meditate at times. How long does it take you typically to finish something like that? Um, I think for this painting, uh, it took me three days. Yeah, um, most only because uh, I I wanted to I wanted to wait for the paint to dry. Yeah. So you you would put like layers on it and then. You sometimes you paint wet on wet, but um, sometimes it doesn't work that way. So for me, I I, paint, I wanted to paint wet on wet for as long as I can, and then I would uh, wait for it to dry to put on another layer. Yeah. And I ask you that because um, a singer can perform on stage and let out an emotion, and it's immediate, right? Like got that immediate they can push it out or a songwriter can sit down and you know write lyrics and then really express how they feel in that particular time so it's interesting to hear a painter that would work on something for three days but then that would mean that there's a lot of emotions that are um that are brewing for those three days to pump out sort of this image in your head and let it ride out like a, a therapy session right yeah, so I feel like it's not as um, immediate. Yeah, you know, but um, the thought process and the way the I think painting the the most beautiful thing about painting for me it's that the the process of painting it. You know, you it's, know like, it's like it's like with doing it. Um, you you feel like a certain. Sometimes you have to take a step back and look at your painting from afar and then it will tell you what it needs. Wow. And that's what my professor told me. And I didn't really get it at the time because I like to paint up close. Like I would like get into it and yeah, 
go over details a lot. And then um, I actually listened to that bit of advice and it really, it really helps like to sometimes just take a step back and then you can just see what is missing and like what, what it means in those areas that you want to uh, work on. And it's like, um, it's, it's a process that I'm still learning. I'm still learning. Um, this sounds like it's going to one day, if you ever consider jumping into film directing or, you know, part of that kind of like, uh, that part of the world that would help, um, you immensely with, you know, that putting together and compositing sort of like images and having this visual ability to kind of, I mean, it goes hand in hand, right? I think it would help a lot. And uh, I've never really had problems with uh, composition, compositioning uh, stuff. Because I, I, I learned these basic rules when I was learning how to draw. And then I keep on applying it to everything. And then you get better as you do it a lot. And, but when it comes to directing, I think, um, I think it's too challenging for me at this moment. Like I, I've thought about it. Like I, I always thought that, you know, um, I haven't, I have yet to make my short, my own short film. And, uh, that's something that I, that I wanted, that would be like the next big step for me to, to produce, um, um, not necessarily direct, but maybe write and uh, produce, um, what uh, a short what about it what part of it scares you everything <laughs> um because i i've seen like uh, i've worked alongside like one of the, like ham is like um i respect him a lot as a director you know uh his his determination and his hard work and his vision because the first time i was working with him i didn't truly understand the way he uh he he visual, uh, visualizes his, his, his scenes in a film and then you do it on set. And then a couple months later, you see it on his screen, his editing screen. And it's like totally different. Like you, you imagine the scene going this way and you think it's like the right way. But then he kind of amazes me with how he changes everything. And it's still that same scene, but it's so much more it has so much more dynamic in it and like um so i think um i like to uh i would like to like be around and like look at different things and like learn more before i uh he actually asked me to direct something once uh direct a um a music video when I was only like 23 and he, he asked me if I wanted to direct this music video, it, it didn't happen in the end, but he actually asked me if I wanted to do it. And I was like terrified because I thought it was like a great opportunity for me. But at the same time, you know, I didn't know where to start. I didn't, I basically have no clue because everything that I learned from uh, filmmaking, it's just by doing. And sometimes I think it's not enough. Um, you know, like, cause I didn't have that, that, um, foundation that yeah. I, 
I, um, God, I have so many thoughts on this because I struggled with that for, you know, 20 years of my life. Uh, stop and start, start and stop, you know, writing with the the guys, you know, with Anderson and with Bao and, you know, it's a struggle for me too. Um, that's why I asked you like, what, do, what scares you the most about it? You know, um, I, I identify with that very much. I still can't get it off the ground. You know, it's still, um, I have a shit ton of stories that I wrote and treatments that I wrote and I'm around him around all the guys all the time. And I've always went to write and direct myself, but, you know, found myself more on the sort of the back side of, you know, distribution and, and I've produced one film, but, uh, I always went to, to write and direct, but it's scary. It's, it's a daunting task. And when you think about it, it should be because it's like, um, you're putting yourself really directly on permanent shit. And that's what's fuck out of me you know god like and then you know it's like this it's like tattoos right like what you get at 17 or 30 is sort of like an imprint of who you are at the time with tattoos you know i had tattoos put on me at 17 then i look back and i'm like oh my god this is so silly it's really silly and so that I, i i'm stuck with that kind of imagery of like me putting something on film and writing my thoughts out like I have struggles with a career or with a family member or whatever. And, you know, that's permeating in my mind for that year. So I write the story about it, you know, not directly my story, but I'll put characters that symbolizes the struggle. And I look, I read back like three years later and I'm like, oh my God, this is so fucking stupid. So silly. But then what if people are connecting with that Kenneth Wynn three years ago story, you know? So- I think they do. I think they would. And, um, I kind of see what you are saying because a lot of the times uh, I, you know, I make videos talk about my daily life and, and the things that, that were like problems with me right at the time. And now, even now, like when I look back, I thought that I'm silly, but there, there are a lot of things that after you've done it for a while, you just forgot about it. And then uh, you get to see it again. It's like, it's quite refreshing sometimes. Because um, you get to see uh, like yourself in a different perspective that right. you you kind of like grown, but then uh, there are also things that um, you could only do it then, but you can't do it now. So uh, that's for me. For like when I watch, I don't watch my uh, my old YouTube videos, but then uh, I think last month I was watching all of it. Oh, at the shit. same time like i rewatched like everything just to see like okay you know if i can like get any ideas and i did because like i actually surprisingly um you know i thought i was kind of dumb and like kind of idiotic but then in a way you know uh something that i i can't have now something that i don't have now like it certain things it's kind of hard to explain, but you know what I mean, right? Like, I do. Uh, I do. It's an yeah. amazing observation, though, you know? And we're not the same person we were two years ago, three years ago. I mean, completely different. You know, two year, three years ago, I was working on a story with, uh, you know, with an other writer. And I'm like, I was going through a, a tough time with um, figuring out career. And, you know, I'm always having that career question, right? 
And now I look back and I'm like, oh, I'm a totally different person. I have settled into a different pattern here, you know, especially having kids. I don't think the same way, but you know, that story does exist and it might connect with some other people, but yeah, right. I go through that uh, quite often. Um, what do you think that um, in the next year, this new year is going to sort of like, what are you going to focus on? Um, well, uh, as I said before, my, my goal for this new year is uh, I'm starting this uh, new uh, YouTube series. Um, I'm not going to try to like outdo myself by saying it's going to be like five to six episodes. I think I'm going to um, have like a mini series of. Uh, so what it's about, it's um, I'm doing it about animals. And uh, basically, uh, it's like I pick an animal mm -hmm. that I felt. You know, uh, we observe them in their natural habitat, right? Because I, I'm, I'm, I actually love animals. Ever since I was a kid, I watch a lot of uh, Animal Planet Discovery and all that stuff. And so I'm gonna give them a lot of uh, info about the animal, but then also like the things that they do in their life in relation to humans. Wow. What and and so you know like okay like a chimpanzee like in mating season like he would like do this dance yeah and, like do I do that kind of dance you know that kind of stuff and um, you know afterwards uh, you know have some jokes uh, relation uh, to me like how do I relate to that animal basically and uh, and then I paint it wow wow. That is and so um, that that bear that I showed you, it's uh, one of the episodes that I'm working on. How do you pick an animal? What what makes you drawn to an animal? Um, what connects you to the animal? So it depends on the animals, uh, on the animals that I chose, and on the video I would explain. Uh, on each and one of them, I would explain why I picked that one, and uh, you know the the stories or the or the um, the things that happened to me in my life. Why did I pick that? And uh, I think when I'm when I'm done with it, I'm actually like done with one one video already. I'm working on the second one, and whenever the first video comes out, I think I'm gonna send I'm gonna send you the link so you can see you can you can. Uh, uh, understand Vietnamese perfectly, right? So yeah, perfectly, yeah. Should be. Um, I can't wait. I'm. I, I, I don't really. Um, I don't know how they're gonna react to it. You know, like how the audience are gonna um, take it. You know, I just knew that it's something uh, quite original. Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, what What's interesting about that statement you just made about? Um, I don't know how my audience is gonna take it. This is my guess. This is my thought on that. So you had a group of people that followed you, you throughout the years, right? Those people are now at a different place in their life. They're now a lot more mature. Right. They're, they're people who really vibe with you and your silliness or your, your thought process or whatever it is that they vibe with you. And then 
now they're entering a new phase of their life in whether they're working, you know, at work and they have family or whatever. And I think for them to see this sort of new part, new development of your art and the new maturity and the new way of your thinking, I think it's going to really connect with people that you've had a base with, but then it'll open up to older guys like me, because that's like a very original way of thinking too, you know, like this idea of connecting with animals. And I think it is very, um, this day and age is very important that we have that connection with nature and um, realize that we're not the only fucking thing on the planet that matters. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've been, um, this has to a lot to do with myself. Like I really had to dug deep like, into myself because I, I've always wanted to come back on YouTube and really do something that I think it's like, it has, it can be funny, but it, it has to have heart and uh, I have to put some thought into it. And so it took me a long time to come up with this idea. And um, even when I had the idea, like to execute it was quite a challenge. But then um, when the first video was finished, like I was quite happy with how it turned out overall. Like I know in my heart that I've made something that I'm actually really, I, I really enjoyed making it. And I know that I put a lot of thought into it. But the uh, the reaction, I'm not I'm not too sure. But uh, I've never really done anything based on their reactions, anyway. Yeah, yeah. you know. Um, I know that they appreciate like the the videos that like my my audience. Um, a lot of them have uh, kind of scattered around a lot because I, I stopped making videos for many years, and. Um, the beauty of it is like I felt like this is the first time in, in many years that when I'm making these videos, it felt like when I was starting. Right. So it felt just the same as when I started making videos. So I had that, that joy again, you know, because there, there were times when I didn't feel like making anything because I had that pressure of like, oh, you know, uh, I got to do you know, put out video constantly for, for views and I got to do this. I got to do, I had to add commercials in and like, I had this deadline. I had to do all that. And, um, there were a lot of times when I was putting out videos that I knew wasn't my style and like, wasn't, um, something that I, I would be showing to my friends, right. you know? Uh, there, there were a couple, you know, I, I didn't put out that many videos in the past couple of years, but for those, uh, for these videos, um, I think I really, I really enjoyed making it and like, I'm kind of excited for, to see the reaction. I'm not sure if it's going to be, uh, in my favor or, or not, but, uh, I would be happy to put them out. Yeah. And that's the whole thing about art, right? I mean, in any field, I mean, we have to make, you know, that like the integrity of an art artist, um, 
is what we choose to do. And sometimes it, we just got to like put aside what other people might think. Um, I just got started with this whole podcasting thing and bringing um, people on the show. And it ranges from, you know, old school film icons to business people to everything. And there's people that come on that nobody knows about that I'm just interested in. I just, and I'm making it just like you. I, cause, cause I care. I care about these stories and I don't care what the world thinks of these people. It's just, I care. I want to know more about, and I think it's just almost like a process of self discovery, right? We go through this sort of exercise and, you know, um, I have a big thing about religion because I was raised under a very strict family of religion, uh, Catholic, uh, you know, and I, Wait, I are you, uh, are you a Catholic? No, yeah, I was raised a Catholic. I don't practice it any longer. You know that I went to a Catholic school in high school. All right. We can talk about this <laughs> here uh, in Vietnam or in the States. In the States. I was in the uh, Catholic school for three oh, years. I was thinking of, of college. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So wh- why, why a Catholic high school? I, I had no clue. Who said like that? it was all, it was all set up and uh, I just came and what? I didn't know what it was going to be like, you know, do, do you know, how, how do you, uh, you, you were saying something about you being uh, raised in a strict Catholic, uh, strict, super strict. Yeah. My parents went to church, you know, my dad went twice a day. My mom went once a day in the morning with him. It, I was really strict. I mean, we, um, yeah, they didn't talk about, oh, get good grades or, you know, work hard. They weren't like that. They were like, no, be a priest, become a Catholic priest. That's, that's really strange. Hardcore. Yeah. Asian parents to say like, oh, not, not get good grades, but like be a priest. It had, to it, me. It had its benefits. I look back now, it's strange um, at the time, but we didn't come home and do homework. We came home and like read the Bible in Vietnamese. So we were able to kind of like learn wow. the language that way. And a lot of the words that were broken down by my dad were, um, you know, going from, you know, he, he had a really wide English vocabulary. And so it, it helped us with the duality of, you know, that kind of culture at home. But we didn't have this ambition, my brother and I, to become anything like a doctor or lawyer. It's like, you guys are going to become priests. And, um, so that was our thinking for a long time. And so it was, it was a good thing in the way that it's about integrity and morality, right? So that was like really baked into to, to my brother and I, the way we think. But it, it was very uncomfortable at the time. And, you know, for better or for worse, it, sometimes we go one way and the other way with morality and ethics and, and stuff like that now. But what um, high school... Like, do you know who ran the high school? Was it the Jesuits, the Franciscans? Uh, St. Joseph. St. Joseph uh, Central Catholic High School was okay. the name of the school. And yeah. uh, I, didn't, I didn't understand much. Uh, <laughs> um, I just went with it. And yeah. I took uh, this theology class. And we, we go to church uh, every other week, you know. Um, but I, I wasn't a Catholic. Like, I wasn't converted. Yeah. Um, even in my family, we, we're not like Buddhists, but we, you know, we, we practice this uh, religion when you uh, pray to your ancestor. And, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I went, I went to church and uh, we learned a lot about Catholic. And 
what what <laughs> the funniest thing is like when I first came to school and I thought you know oh you know I'm I'm going to a Catholic school so that means that the students here are gonna be like you know like holy like they they're not gonna cuss <laughs> or anything you know like so I I didn't I was like really afraid to cuss and shit and then. Uh, in soccer games, you know, like I started hearing people say fuck and like shit. And, like they were like cussing out and stuff. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Like this is what they do. And, <laughs> and then, because uh, I, I was like 15, I didn't know anything. So I, I was like, I was a little afraid, you know, to uh, to say certain things because yeah. I thought I was in like this Catholic school. But uh, overall, I think, um, it it kind of has an effect on me as well because mm-hmm. I didn't think about it. I don't think of it often, but sometimes I, you know, I do believe that, you know, there's God. You know, like yeah. there, there's. Um, I'm I'm not like an atheist. You know, I think I would be called agnostic, or that, that they call me. Yep. Yeah. So I think that's just like an interesting thing that uh, a lot of people were asking me like, oh, you know, like, you are you a Catholic and stuff? And when I say that, I went to a Catholic high school. I went to high school my entire life. Uh, from and you guys have to wear uniforms and stuff? Yeah, from Moyao <laughs> yeah. to, to, to graduating as a high school senior. Time. And was it like a private school? Yeah. Yeah, there were uh, multiple private schools I went to. Um, in elementary school, um, it was a Catholic school. Then high school, I went to two different high schools, both Catholic schools. One one was a boarding school for two years. Um, yeah, and, you know, I, what I want to comment on is this. It's like uh, that thing about you were saying on the soccer field, you're cur- cursing. The thing about Catholics is this. We're so into the rigidity of rituals and rules and shit and we're like uh okay this is right this is wrong right the more right. you know about right and wrong and the rules and i'm imagining it's like in painting probably the same way the more you know about rules and shit the more you're gonna go break them yeah <laughs> right <laughs> and, and and i think catholics have this weird perverse sense of like right and wrong because okay we know that that's the right and wrong there's the line right there but then if we go to um confession we can get rid of it and then so there's this like weird like okay i can do bad but i'm gonna just go confess to god and you know it, it's just right. a, a strange way of um of, of but then of- it also it's like pretty like it's a really cool way to like <laughs> relief in a way you know like it's like i i went to confession once only once because like i always thought of myself as like an outsider so yeah. like even when the the priest was giving these uh communion yeah the communion bread yeah i never tasted it although i really wanted to like i really i was just like sitting down there like watching my friends go on and like eat it and like i always wonder like what it tastes like did you do it i, never, I didn't do it because oh, like man they didn't they didn't tell me to to do it and um i was afraid to do it you know yeah. if they didn't tell me then i'm not gonna just come in and, and do it and um but there are a lot of things that there were like some priests from africa 
And whenever he come up to lecture, I just couldn't understand what he was saying. Yeah. Because he was saying it in like, uh, he has an accent and then the mic and then I was far away. Most of the time, I'm I'm usually like, I don't know if I should say this, but like even in church, like I just get, I just get like really sleepy. Sleepy, yeah. I, I would stay like this sometimes because I, I'm falling asleep. I think most children go through that. Most kids go through that. But, you know, I will say... I that know I, I wasn't the only one, too. Yeah. Like, I felt bad, but I couldn't do... Like, I didn't know any better, and I, I couldn't help it because, like, you know, instead of going to class, we, we go in there, you know, it's like the weather is, like, it's like the air condition is nice, and they're singing, <laughs> and you're just like... And sometimes I can't understand what they're saying. So it's going to make me uh, drill that way. Yeah. I uh, have conversations with uh, friends of mine that are younger now. And um, I remember going through the years of um, the boarding school, especially when my father dropped me off. And he said, look, I know you're not going to enjoy this right now. You're not going to, it's not going to make sense to you right now. But what you're going through right now is a privilege. You have to understand that the rituals that you're seeing, because uh, it was the the church that we were at that boarding school, uh, the the service was all in Latin, and it was old school Gregorian chanting, and it was things that you probably um, see in the movies. Uh, you know, the, the the priest wore the robes with the hoods, and it was all white. And um, I remember it was in the '80s, the late '80s, and we would go through it, and the ritual side of it all. Uh, it was very beautiful, actually, those two years of, of of going through it. But now that I get older, I reflect back on what you're saying about um, you drift off, you're bored, you're sleepy. And I think it's that that's okay. You know, was, we're, we're meant to kind of like go through that young period like that. And then as you get older, you go back to thinking about why certain rituals, why certain rules about painting, why certain rules about filmmaking, why these yeah. things are there. And it begins to sort of make sense in a very different context. Right. And I find myself actually looking up things like much later on in the road, like um, looking back at it and wanting to know more. Because at the time, you only learn things in theology class and you have to like memorize it for tests. But then now that nobody forcing me to do it, I actually find myself like looking back and like searching for some of the stuff that I didn't understand back then, like now. So I think, I don't know yet, you know, like I'm maybe, I don't know, maybe in my thirties, I'll, I'll find out something that, um, that is really meaningful to me because I already kind of sense it now that I go back and like look up on Google, like what, what certain things were and like certain quotes in the, in the Bible. Actually, my art teacher was the one that um, he was a really cool guy, and like I was like one of his favorite students back in school. Yeah. And uh, his graduation gift for me was uh, he bought me a Bible in Vietnamese. Oh shit! And then he gave it to me along, along with like, like um, a gift card, like a hundred dollars, something like he, he gave me a wow. couple gifts, and I actually read through it, but then. The translation w wasn't that good, you know, like the accent mark were all like fucked up. <laughs> they weren't in the right place, you know. 
But like I, I went, I looked through it and um, I left that book. Uh, I left the Bible in Hanoi. But uh, like even after this conversation, I know, I know for a fact that I'm going to go like maybe tonight or maybe if not tonight, then in a couple of days, I'll, I'll look at, look back at certain things. Because it's not often that I get to talk about this kind of thing with anybody, um, anybody, really. Because like even in my group of friends right now, um, we don't really talk about uh, religion. religion. Not often. Yeah, it's a big part of us when we get older too. Um, I'm open to it now. I'm open to all of it. I'm open to blending religions. I'm open to all sorts of things you know what i want to i want to make a, a a quick left turn here um i'd like to do you know a few weeks or a few months from now this same thing in vietnamese okay <laughs> you know what it's like that'd be cool yeah and i did and i talked to another um guest the other day about this because his um you know he speaks both the languages i don't speak vietnamese pronunciation well but obviously i'm you know there's thoughts that i have in vietnamese that play out differently with the speaker you know i like i think it is it's like uh we're, we're both okay you're on the piano i'm on the guitar right now and then once we switch over you're probably going to be on like um the violin and i'm going to probably get on the drums and we're you, you know it's a different you know we're probably playing the same song but it's going to sound way different and it come out the emotions are come out different and i want to play with that if you're it's going to be a lot different like uh like even if uh if i switch to vietnamese you feel like i'm a completely different, different person yeah person. man i want to try i think that's the thing about i think that's the thing about language because yeah. like it 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 introduced you to a different thought process and uh that's what i what i learned because uh the, the reason why i also wanted to do this it's like I never really get a chance to 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 do things like this, you know. And I I've, I've been back for eight years, and during those eight years, like I don't get that many uh, time practicing, you know. I, it get rusty sometimes. Yeah. You, you yeah. see me like uh, messing up and stuttering sometimes, like even I, I, yeah, I don't in the past. Hour. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but sometimes like I I feel like I have difficulties like expressing myself like it the reaction time is slower yeah that it used to be you know but it's good i mean um that reaction time gives you time to formulate thoughts and i'm i it doesn't show to me at all i i i think it just feels like you're a really thoughtful person you know <laughs> yeah which you are i have to like i have to like construct it in a way so that i would be able to to, to say it but then in vietnamese i feel like it's it's much more natural i guess like I, I would be able to to just like say whatever it's like right right away, you know. Yeah, like it takes less time to 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 think about that kind of stuff. Here's I have an advantage when I'm doing this in Vietnamese. Is this is my advantage? I don't have to say much. You're going to be the one speaking. <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> I'll be speaking very little. You know, I have these thoughts, and because you're speaking, I'm going to have enough time to formulate my thoughts in Vietnamese. So it. Right. It's it's a beautiful thing that that I really enjoy, and having a an English format um, that went first between you and me, and then if anybody has the um, sort of the curiosity to to see what it sounds like, uh, 
but you know, we're not going to script it. We don't, you know, we haven't scripted anything. You know, there was no questions that I had to look up between you and me right now. We, the conversation right. flows really well, but I wonder where our conversation is going to go when we, um, when we speak Vietnamese. It's going to be a lot easier for me. I think a lot easier, but not, not in like, uh, I'm not saying like this was like tough, but it, yeah. it's like totally different. I think it's going to be a lot different. I still, I mean, I'm still going to be the same guy with the same experiences, but, uh, uh, the way I express it is probably yeah. uh, a lot different. Cause I think Ham told me that like, he, he's like, um, impressed. Like he's really impressed with my English, but he, he say that I sound like a kid. Do I kind of sound like a kid no. <laughs> when I speak English? No, no, because we went into some deep waters with the art stuff and breaking things down and very complex. No, but just the just the the uh, the sound, like the pronunciation. I I don't get that at oh. all. Yeah, I feel okay. like you're, you're thinking. <laughs> or maybe about. maybe because like my voice has been uh, it's much deeper now than it used to be. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, when did you do suit job? That was like what. Uh, six years ago or five years ago how long was ago was that yeah i was uh i was like 20 uh 21 22 oh, wow man that so was... i'm i'm 20 i'm 27 now so that's like six years ago yeah that was a fun role watching you yeah i would man it's crazy because i remember when he was telling me about when he was shooting that he's like yeah that kid speaks fluent english and i was like it didn't make sense it just didn't make sense. <laughs> you know at at that time when i was looking at you on screen it's like this is a vietnamese kid who's from the north who is from the north and he is a born and raised in Viet. and then he's like no the guy the kid speaks perfect english and then you know recently um i talked to him once a week on, on these calls uh and he was saying don't forget to ask about the art and i was like what I was like, you know, like that, you know, so this is why I appreciate these long form podcasts, because now we can really get down with um, getting into who people are, you know, and I think Vietnam's not there yet. It'll take another two to three years for, you know, it took 10 years for the US to get into long form podcasting. And in the beginning, people were like, that's crazy. Nobody's going to sit for like three to four hours to watch, you know, a long form podcast but now it's totally different you have okay you have your tiktok you know 30 seconds you have your uh instagram stuff you have your things that you can consume quickly but then there are things that you can there's okay for example there's an episode of a navy seal called jocko willink and his subordinate johnny kim i don't know if you know the story but johnny kim, i don't know about the story johnny kim is a seal team Originally, it was the SEAL team worked under Jocko in his unit. They fought in Iraq and everything, right? Then he goes oh. on to get into Harvard Medical School, becomes a medical doctor, right? And Jocko is his commanding officer. He writes a letter of recommendation for, for, um, for Johnny. And then after that, you go, okay, cool. He goes back again, and he becomes an astro NASA astronaut. So fucking Johnny Kim is a, a SEAL team uh, Harvard medical doctor, and he becomes a, a, a NASA. And it's the episode, Jocko Willink, uh, I think it's 221 is the number of the episode. You can look on YouTube or Spotify. That guy 
and Johnny, so Jocko and Johnny Kim go for four and a half, four hours or whatever, right? And you look at it and you're like, fuck that. That sounds boring. Dude, when you get into that shit, you're like, oh my God, I need six more fucking hours of this show. I want 10 hours of Jocko and Johnny talking because they break down so many different angles of the SEAL team world, the Harvard uh, journey and how he is now an astronaut. And it is just mind blowing. And Joe Rogan did another one with, uh, with another um, artist, um, a painter uh, called David Cho. That went on for like four and a half, five hours. And and one of my favorite episodes, I, I I needed another 20 hours with that, with those two guys, you know? So eventually I think, uh, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure Vietnam is going to, um, there are a lot of uh, podcasts right now that is already on the way that I I've seen, I've seen a couple. And, um, for me, like, uh, I'm new to like knowing about podcasts and stuff, but if there's like someone I, I know, like someone I follow and I really want to know things, I would sit for a couple hours just to watch him uh, or him or her talk about like things, you know, um, there was this YouTuber that I really liked back in the day and he was gone for, he just completely disappeared. Uh, Kev Jumba. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was like, he was gone for a couple of years and then he went back and did a podcast. And like, I was like onto that shit, like right away. No, shit. I was just sitting there and watch it for, I think it was like an hour, an hour and a half or something. I think you would kill it. And, as uh, hope, man, you should do it. You should do it. Um, a lot of people actually messaged me on, on YouTube and saying uh, I should do uh, my own podcast. You do it, yeah. But actually, I have no clue. Like, I don't know how to start. And how do you start? Like, you um, yeah. decided to yeah, do it. Yeah, so I've been wanting to do it since 2015. I've, I'm just horrified of technology. I'm, 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 I come from a, a, you know, it's not an age thing. It's just a personality thing. I don't, I'm not right. good at it. So this pandemic hit and um, everybody was like talking about how easy Zoom is. I was like, shit. And then I started to learn about it and then I got it. And, you know, I've been working in the entertainment um, sector for a long time and I built a lot of contacts. And then I also have um, a life outside of entertainment. I, I work in the food space in L.A. Uh, I've been in that world, the food world, the street food world for 10 years. So my wife and I are sort of like really heavy into that um, food scene where it's street food. And then I have a, a military background. I was in the Marine Corps for four years from 17 to 21. And so I have a, like a, a big host of a, a big group of guys that I, that I stay in contact with. I've stayed in contact with every industry that I've ever been in. Um, I grew up in the interior design world. Uh, my mom and dad made uh, window coverings. and So I was like, oh my God have all these experiences that I can just put together. And I always wanted to do a show because I just love talking to people. So all I did was like started telling Anderson and, and bow and, and ham and all these guys like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to step off and do this. They were like all like support in support of that. So, but now Tan, this is my thing with you and, and, and everybody I talk to start right away because the more guys like us um, that do it, we create like a bigger web of voices that we can move information around very quickly uh, within, you know, with our art, because next time you get this show off the ground and, you know, I'm nothing, I, I have like no followers. I, you know, I'm just starting out, but I have faith that because I, 
I tell my friends this all the time. I'm doing this for selfish reasons. If nobody was to watch any of these shows, I'd be fine with it. I just, I'm terrified when people that care, like guests that care about my view count when they come on the show and they, they're like, ah, he does, he's not a big show. I don't want to go on. That's the only thing that makes me sort of worry about the view count. But other than that, I'm not doing this for the view count. I don't, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I, I don't think about that. I think about, can I, do a thousand of these episodes. And then when I pass away one day, my children can learn a bit about the Vietnamese, right? They're and children. about you too. <laughs> Thank you. I, uh, yeah, I, I hope that I've spent enough time and being present with them that they can learn <laughs> about me. But I, for the future generations of people that want to learn about the Vietnamese, here is a, a, um, a big library of, human beings that that are called Vietnamese people. In one way or another, this is the story about Vietnamese people. And it could be white people who've studied about the Vietnamese people or white people who've done business with Vietnamese and have a an angle. But anything to do with the Vietnamese is sort of like my direction. And so what I'm saying to you is, you, if you don't know, it doesn't matter. Just start putting guests on, people that you like, the people that you're interested in, and just start to turn the record button on and just go like this one-on-one and then when COVID's lifted I, I don't know what what your studio situation but have you know like a three camera setup and you can have guests inside and and all you got to do man is just riff and if it's just like two comedians like you and another funny guy just go in there and talk about dumb shit it doesn't matter like we're just right. talking about podcasting right now on a podcast it doesn't matter right because people are going to get to know my history of like podcasting and you're like you haven't done it yet and this is the start of something and if we have like 50 people like me and you, and then we're like rotating on each other's shows when you have a, a new thing or I have a new thing. And, you know, it just becomes like this massive influx of voice that we need to, to, to have spread out. Um, because right now there's not for better for it, it, it's, we don't have like a, a massive, like a uh, group of podcasters. So I, I want to, have that world where i can jump on show to show you can jump on show to, you can call me up and be like hey ken you should go on that guy's show because you know um there's this interesting thing that that's happening so yeah just start i would just start calling up your friends and just right. having, and even if they're nobody even if they're people that don't have a big few count you couldn't people can start to learn about you more because that friend that you've had for like nine years starts asking questions that you're like oh shit he's going to a part of my life that I've never talked about. Right. No, I think podcasts are uh, really amazing, actually. Amazing. Like for me, for me to, you know, I, you, you mentioned this before, like, you know, when you see, because I'm, I'm a guy from YouTube. So like I'm used to making content for like fast, like uh, short yeah. attention span and like seeing like the length it would put off a lot of people, including myself from the beginning. But then when I learned about what it is and like sit through a bunch of podcasts, like watching all those people, uh, I started with like watching actors. Mm. Cause like, I, I'm really always curious about like what they, the stories they have and like the, the behind the scenes and all that okay. stuff. So that's how I started out watching a few. And, uh, I've seen, um, an episode of you and, uh, the, What's his name? Jesse? Yeah, Jesse Trent. The captain of... Uh... So for me, it was interesting to see that there are Vietnamese people that are like that. You know, like they 
they they are in the Marines and like they're obviously like it's like the seems like the tough like uh, tough Vietnamese guy you know uh, that I've I've never seen wow. wow a lot of people like that and like to to hear what they talk about uh, I've seen bits of um, your talk with Anderson with Anderson is it? bits of it um, only the the very first part. Of, of Anderson? Some of the first, yeah, of Anderson. Um, I think I've seen Jesse, and I think uh, before that, like a couple of weeks ago, I was looking at uh, uh, Chef. Yeah, Chef Winbui. Yeah, yeah, that one was that one was like so fascinating. Like I had no idea what was going to go on with that one, and it turned out to be, at the time, um, God, one of my loveliest experiences with um with another human being because I, I i didn't know him very well um we just met a few weeks before that we spent christmas together uh with a group of people for a few days and um when we started that interview i thought that i had known a little bit about him and then i said hello and it took him a long time in my head it took like an infinity to to say hey ken how are you to reply back and then at first I'm like, maybe he has audio problems with the earphones, right? So it it threw me off. Like I'm not used to that. Somebody was gonna. So I thought right, there was a technical problem, and then I go, "How are you?" or something like that. It took him like double the amount of time. If you see in the beginning of that to respond, right. and I was like, "Fuck, man, what did I get myself into?" I was so right. worried about it because I'm I'm used to people like, "Well, what up?" You know, and then. Right. It forced me, just like your English, what you were talking about, it forced me to slow down. And because we slowed it down, I began to realize I have not been listening to people to that point in my life and on the previous show's podcast. I began to realize like, okay, I have to take my time and listen and process the information that's being put out there. And I didn't do that before. And his his segment allowed me to do that, and it became this beautiful thing um, for me for that that whole episode. I really stopped and realized, oh my god, I'm dealing with a different type of human being here. Somebody who's going to really process and God, we get down to some funny things like uh, the creation of banh mi in Vietnam. I don't know if you got that far into it, but and we talk about like making pho and putting in a spice bag in the beginning. Or the end of the uh, the you know there's all of the you know I'm, I'm in the cooking world too, so we break down all these food ideas and we get granular down to the molecular kind of like process of making um, food and I really love this and I think um, Tan you're gonna really love this as well you're gonna really love, and you you speak both languages so you can do you can do whatever you want right. you know you can do it in English and you can do it in Vietnamese and post that's it true but yeah um, yeah well. I, I would definitely think about because uh, I've al- always thought not always but like I've had that thought before you know because um, what advantages that I have um, if I were to interview uh, people in Vietnam is that I'm actually friends with a lot of the um, guys my age that worked yeah. into um, you know that worked in the industry and like there are singer rappers and they're really different different people and uh i happen to know a lot of them so yeah it's uh, it's, it's pretty cool to uh 
Dude, you, you know that what I would, fuck, man. You know what I would want to watch from you? I would want to watch you and your father talk for fucking three hours. Dude, that would be that would fucking be ma- amazing, right? Right. I would love to hear you and your father go. That's a crazy idea, actually. I, n- I thought of that. Yeah. I, I thought about making videos with him, but I, I've never thought about doing a podcast with him. Dude, That'll just jot out a few questions, you know, that, and then you go, hey, dad, can you turn on your camera and then set him up with Zoom? And, and then you just go, man. It's very easy. And I'm actually um, flying back um, in two days. So I'll be in Hanoi for, for that. Got but uh, I'm actually a little, huh? I would love well, to watch that one. You know, you could even do a whole series. Like you could do like eight of them with him, his friends. You know, you just go down the list of all the amazing artists. Dude, Hui. I mean, uh, Tan. There, there, I just called you Hui. It's okay. Yeah. There, there is nobody, I mean, to my knowledge, that does a whole series of artists in the Vietnamese world. So imagine if you right. just started right there because you have an art background, your father, and you have all of their connections that... You can literally sit for fucking 20 episodes and go down the list of your dad's contacts or your contacts in the art world. Dude, I would tune into that shit like a, you know, obviously that's like. And today would be the day that marks the start of that show if it ever happened. That would be amazing. (laughs) You could just do a series on those guys. You could do a series on women, business people, or dude, there's so many outlets that you can, you can push. Um, because you have the ability to do it. You have the, you know, you have the sensibility to, to sit here and, and ask. I'm actually, um, I think I'm quite the same as you, cause you were describing that you were, um, you say like, it's, it's not a age thing. It's like personality thing when it comes yeah. to tech and stuff. I'm actually the same way. And then I have to learn a lot of the things on YouTube, even like the basic of like lighting setup and stuff. Yeah. I have to learn everything by myself because I never had that foundation. But um, I mean, it should be easy, you know, like it, sh- it shouldn't be hard, but it's just like the thought of starting. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it, it, it's not. Once you get started, you especially when you start off. something yeah. new. Yeah. yeah. Uh, something new. But this requires but, uh, no, like this requires no, um, it requires no, uh, after you get over the zoom aspect and the lighting, whatever, it requires no, not a whole lot of pre-production, not a whole lot of prep, because if you can connect with another human being and draw out their story, just by sitting in, look, man, I don't know you, you don't know me. We're just here having a conversation. And the, the, the beauty of this is, is because I don't know you now I'm going to, fucking find a way to get to know you in this episode right so whatever is like popping and i have like maybe a thousand more questions that you don't even see but it's like it's brewing in my head constantly as i'm talking to you and i'm like i haven't even gotten to you know i wrote a few questions i haven't even gotten to 80 percent of those questions today damn (laughs) you know so that's the beauty of this it's like and um i got to know you and i'm sure the world of the future people who are watching this is going to get to know you in a f- totally different way. They're like, what? He's an actor too? <laughs> what? You know, he does that other YouTube, like what? He does art. Like we got to cover a lot of ground and um, I'm excited. And I, I'm excited to be a part of the, your world for the next few years. And, and, and hopefully I can come on your show one day. I would love to. And you know, how the tables. If I, if I were to have a podcast show, then you would definitely be a guest. 
<laughs> well, let's let's knock out this Vietnamese one, you know, um, soon, and um, you know, and then I would love to see you get started with the one with your dad, and you know, that's a, another channel that you throw up on your original YouTube page, and you just go down the list and just start doing all the guests. And I would love to hear more about rappers in Vietnam, and you know, the growth of that sector in Vietnam, and I'd like to interview rapper because you know that's something that i i grew up in la very close to and uh but see here's the beauty the questions that i'm gonna ask of the the same rapper like is totally different from what you're gonna ask right, right. you're and that's why we need more people that, to do podcasts in our because i have a different viewpoint than you do and i would be very interested to to hear how an interview that you do with a rapper and an interview that I do, how our different points of view will collide because, or if, or even be very different because the rapper is going to have to answer certain questions from an American, a Vietnamese American versus somebody who is Vietnamese, Vietnamese, but also has an American background. So your questions can penetrate in a very different way than my questions. So this is what is needed in the world today with the, the idea of being Vietnamese and having re representation out there. I'm so excited to talk about this shit, man. It's like brand new, you know, I'm so enthusiastic when, when I think about this. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty inspiring. Like it, I, I never actually thought of starting, but like after today, yeah, you it, could do be, it. it could be something, man. It could yeah. be something. Yeah. It's huge. And you'll realize that the amount of time, for pre-production, doing this is far, far, far less than your typical YouTube production that is shorter. It's right. like shorter, but it takes you more time to edit and to build the music. And this is nothing. You flip a switch, you go deep into conversation with another human being and you connect. Right. Yeah. So I'm excited. I'm excited for the future of all of this, um, this, this ecosystem of, of podcasting from, from Vietnamese voices, you know? Yeah. Um, let's set up something in a few weeks and, uh, you know, get down to the, to, uh, to the, to the side. I want to, I want to end on, on this question. Um, Thet is coming up for you, right? You're going back to Hanoi. Um, what, what do you do for Thet? Um, usually we just, uh, just eat a lot <laughs> and, uh, I would come home and, uh, I like to spend time with my family. When it comes to Tet, usually um, when I was younger, you know, I can't wait to go out and like hang out with friends and do countdowns and all that stuff. But now I just like to be at home and I like to spend that moment with them when when it's like, you know, right? Like you passing of the, the year. I like to be around my parents and uh, we usually just uh, stayed home sometimes we would watch uh the fireworks together from the rooftop like uh you know uh the top floor we can see from my house you can see actually three points of the fireworks i mean i don't like fireworks that much anymore but it's still like something that i really enjoy doing with my parents and um uh, we usually just eat and then uh usually we usually have chicken because it's like they have to like pray and stuff and all the food is there and uh can i ask you can and I ask then you i'm sorry can i ask yeah. you a word that you just said uh, right yeah 
I never even thought about that until you just brought up like in Western culture, we don't have that idea of like, can you explain that in English to me? Um, so it's like a, a moment of uh, the very moment when it changes from this year to the other year to the next year. So it's like 12 o'clock that, that moment it's called the, it's like the, the Zao Tua, right? So it's like to Zao, like. Zao is to hand off and then to, yeah. I don't know, is, is extra or what does to mean in this context? I actually have no, <laughs> I actually have no idea. It's just that the word that I've, I've known since yeah, I was a kid. And, uh, okay. um, they got them Zao so that, that That's how I know what it, that, that's what it means to me. God, and whenever, whenever someone says that, then it means that, uh, you know, it, it, is, it either means that day, you know, uh, to, which is uh, the 12th, I think, the 12th of February this, this year. Um, could mean that day or it could mean that moment, like that, that very moment when the fireworks starts and yeah. uh, the, the clock is like... Uh, it switches over to the next. Yeah, yeah. But I wonder what the word to means in this, you know, I'm like dying to know. I actually have no clue, but it doesn't mean as like surplus or like, uh, surplus, you know, more than enough. It doesn't mean that. <laughs> it means something else. Yeah. But I, I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> and then you spend what, like a week at home? Um, yeah, usually when I was a kid, I, I was more excited about the Lisi, right? Like, because yeah. as kids, you, uh, but now I'm in a position that I have to Lisi, like <laughs> my cousins, you know, and like the, I have a nephew now. And, uh, yeah, I'll be there for like a week, maybe two weeks, um, depending on the situation. Like, I don't know if, uh, it's going to be easy to hopefully that nothing, is because um, there there are like at at the time that we're speaking there are a few covid cases in uh, hanoi so uh, we just have to see uh what the situation is like but yeah i'll be there for about one to one to two weeks and then uh get back to saigon again well awesome man i want to thank you for spending this time with uh, me and uh it was a delight to, to get to know you today Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. I'm so happy to, to, to see your face say that. And it, it brings me a lot of joy to, to do this. And I hope in the um, upcoming years that we're going to do a lot more together. And, you know, even if there's like major events, we can get together on and then just do an episode. We could talk about um, we, anything, you know, whatever we want. Right. We fucking want. We, we, you know, we could just get on and catch up and do it this way. Nice. Um, yeah, definitely. Next time uh, with the Vietnamese, uh, either way, like um, we, we can set up a, a date like later, and then um, we can do another episode. You know, down down the way, maybe after after that, or whenever you have the time. I always have the time. I'm, I'm down for it. I'm down for it. All right, I always have the time. I'm always ready to go. I'm always ready to go. So we'll coordinate that. And um, happy New Year. And um, I would chúc mừng the in Vietnamese, but I feel very, very inadequate to do that. So I'm just going to wish you a, a joyous and a very prosperous new year, uh, full of health and full of uh, well-being. 
Thank you, man. Uh, wish you a happy new year. I don't know how to wish it in like uh, in English, you know, like you, you said it all already. <laughs> Prosperous, like in, in Vietnamese, we'd say like, you know, uh, that's all. I'll take that. I'll take that from you. That's like authentic and uh, it's beautiful. Beautiful. All right, man. Well, I will talk to you soon and we'll set up the uh, Vietnamese version um, very soon. All right. Bye. All right. Thanks, Tan. See you. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran and Javier Proenza. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Crystal Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcasts. Thanks again for listening. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.